Hey guys, it's Gary Vaynerchuk, and this is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey guys, uh, super excited for After the App uh, series we're doing uh, on Wednesdays, right? Uh, is that right? Wednesdays uh, to follow up the Tuesday night launch of a prior episode of Planet of the Apps. And so uh, we've got Zane Lowe, who plays host um, to uh, to this wonderful show. I, I've just fallen in love with this guy. I think you're gonna see that pretty clear in the content that you're about to listen to. And uh, I guess there's really nothing else to say but that this is what my podcast would look like if I did it like everybody else and interviewed people. Dying for your feedback, let me know. Well great, let's get right into it. I mean, obviously I think I wanna keep all the stuff from the beginning of the whole thing that I skipped puberty the whole nine. So anyway, <laughs> uh, super excited. Uh, Zane Lowe, uh, for the Vayner Nation that's listening right now on the podcast on the Gary B Audio Experience, why don't you give context, before we get into Planet of the Apps, uh-huh. before we get into uh, the experience, our budding romance, <laughs> before we get into all that, take me all the way back, let's spend five to 10 minutes here on who you are, mm-hmm. uh, where you came from, your narrative, what is your origin story? That's fair, it's a fair question, you know, because I've only been in the US for you know a couple of years and my journey actually started in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, you know, I spent 22, 23 years there just kind of growing up. Um, you know, music was my first passion. Um, you know, every kid grows up loving music. Every kid of a certain age loves to move. And But I think at some point, perhaps your subconscious or, or your heart or your soul makes a distinction, a decision as to whether or not it's going to stay with you yeah. and be more than just an instinctive reaction to something and actually be a passion. And music was very much a passion for me from a very early age. And were your parents passionate about music? Yeah, very much so. My dad's in radio. Um, okay. But not not necessarily from a musical point of view. You know, he was he was more into the creativity of radio. He made promos and then ended up running radio stations and stuff. So, so from business entrepreneurial standpoint. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad's a businessman, really. And uh, but with a creative spirit. Um, and my but my mum has always had you know music in the up. in the house and always you know really strong record collection and um and my grandparents my grandfather was very musical so so it's a DNA thing. I think so. Yeah, and 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 I think definitely and 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 I think but but for me, it, it just. It became more consuming, and I think the fact that I'm, by my very nature, obsessive-compulsive, that was what I ended up attaching myself to. So in many respects, apart from just being something that's of great enjoyment to me, it's kept me sane. And so how old are you? 43. Right, so what first grabbed you? Like Michael Jackson or like, you know, the first the memory that, Or like what was kind of the first thing? The first memory that anyone... Well, rock and roll. The first memory that anyone has of me as a kid was playing air guitar to Deep Purple Smoke on the Water. That's like common... I love it. Like Nardwa when he interviewed me, he brought that one out of the canon. So that's that's it. a notable fact. Okay. Um, for anyone who gives a shit. Yeah, that's that's um, the first century in your Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah it is now probably. <laughs> um, and then it was things like Thin Lizzy, mm-hmm. um, you know, Billy Joel, Tom Petty, stuff that was in my parents' record collection that captured my imagination. And then as I, and then I made the jump into my brother's record collection. So I'd go into his room, rifle through his vinyl, and that was. I mean, he was he had amazing taste, still does. So that was the Smiths, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin, The Cure. Um, you know, The Who, China Crisis, weird records, you know, as yeah. well as good records. Um, and then and then my first discovery, to wrap it up, you know, when I developed my own independent thought was um, rap music. Set me apart because nobody else in Auckland knew where to find rap records, cared about rap records. It was a fad at that point. People, that adage, rap is crap, was very common. Is this like 85, 86, when this it was actually like, happening? Absolutely. Yeah. This is at the inception of Def Jam and Profile Records. Yep. And so what was what were the acts there to kind of Run DMC, Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys mm-hmm. um, Houdini, 
Fat Boys, Curtis Blow, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Street Sounds Compilation, Schoolie D, and on and on. Public and, Enemy. And so then what happens? Oh, cool, Jay. Uh, then what happens is, you know, I just I start collecting records. Rap music becomes more than a, a fad. My friends start liking it. Friendships are formed out of it. T-shirts are worn. Concerts are gone to. Imagination is sparked. What's music- your first job in the game? In the music game? Yeah. Mm. I did a little bit of like work experience with my dad up on the radio station. My first job in the game was being uh, my friend who was a DJ, being his assistant. Mm-hmm. Helping him bring the records in, set things up, cover, cover for him when he wanted to go to the bathroom or he wanted to go have a drink or dance with his girlfriend. I would DJ for him. And this is still in New Zealand. This is in New Zealand, yeah. And then from there it went into music television, which which was just me being a board op, playing the tapes out overnight by hand, and then I got a job in front of camera. And what was the first job in front of camera? It was uh, it was doing a, a, a dance and rap and soul kind of show. There wasn't a host for it. It was just wall-to-wall videos. And so I said, you don't have a host for that. I said I had an inkling I might enjoy it. So I put my hand up and said, I have a crack at that. And then. How old were you at the time? I don't know, man. I'm trying to think, like maybe in my late teens. And were you like obnoxiously good looking back then, too? No, I was re- I mean, assuming that I'm obnoxiously good looking now, I'll refer to that. That is the too. statement I'm making. I, well, I appreciate it, but no I don't want to assume. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to obnoxiously assume. Um, uh, nah, man. I, 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 I was, you know, I'm, I'm a geek, dude. I'm a straight up gangly geek. I'm the guy who used to like wear two or three t shirts to try and bulk up when I was yep. a kid. And obnoxiously good looking face. I have other ways of bulking yeah. up, Gary. <laughs> Got it. So, great. so you go on camera in teenage and it, and it clicked. You liked it, right? And yeah, I loved became... it, but it, but, it, but it caused problems for me because my primary passion is making music. Like I think I was really honestly put on this earth initially to try and make music and to be involved in that aspect of it. But because I have this journalistic side from my father and my mum, who's a great communicator, um, Corey Taylor, ladies and gentlemen, just walking past Slipknot, day to day, beats one business. I love it. Um, <laughs> Great shout out. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 that was when I was really in, introduced to what has become the push and pull of my life outside of my family and friends. Personality is, versus front facing personality versus behind the scenes music right. maker. Making music versus talking about it. Yeah. And, and that has been the dance I've been doing my whole life. And how's the dance going right now? So far, the talking about is winning. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you feel like making is still in the cards? I mean, you're a young do. man. I right? still do. I still do. I make music. But I all mean, the time. you know, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, your career has exploded. You're now, you know, an international superstar. Um, <sighs> Not you know, even. The, the glue of Planet of the Apps. Dude, I am just a squirrel, and you are the tree of life, <laughs> and I'm just waiting for your nuts to drop. Oh, my nuts have been dropping for years, my man. So we're in good all shape. Right, okay. So anyway. No, I mean, look. look uh, to be honest with you, about three or four years ago, here's the here's the scoop, Gary. Yeah. How do you th- get to the UK and make your noise? Like, what hap- helped me put the? You want to go further back than that? Well, what well, happened back yeah. then? Back, back. Okay. So I was making music pretty much exclusively in New Zealand. I ended up getting this job in this TV channel. Kind of liked it. Got various jobs and went my way through that. And yes. over the course of that, interviewed a ton of people. Yes. Because artists would eventually come to New Zealand. Right, after a year and a half, two Touring, years of being huge. That would close yeah. off their tours generally in New Zealand. Makes sense. So that was really valuable for two reasons. One, inevitably they'd come down and they'd, and, and, and they'd have a few days. And they'd lose be the a little bit, yeah. So if they decided to do press, you'd get them in a slightly more sort of relaxed time frame. But also, they were exhausted, fed up, and the last thing they wanted to do was talk to some over-enthusiastic Kiwi fucking fanboy. Can I swear on this? <laughs> fucking fanboy, right? <laughs> so so I would have to deal with like artists really at their lowest dead boy, they're most exhausted. So it taught me how to navigate my way through things at the end of a promo cycle. I so I, I grew quite a tough skin in that environment. So I just got a whole ton of interviews and put it on a showreel. And uh, then, a, then a guy, a New Zealander called Brent Hansen was running MTV in Europe and in the UK. 
And so he was a connect and a, and a guy who ran a label called Flying London to Needham, knew him, gave him my show tape. He reached out to me. If you're ever in London, look me up. And I just took that as a nod. And so I just got on a plane and bounced. I went out there and Love just it. stuck my nose in the, and you know, stuck my foot through the door and just, you know, he helped me out. And I got a gig and I got a job. Doing? MTV. Um, I was... I was kind of like an assistant producer on a show called Up For It Live, with, which was hosted by a gentleman called Eddie Temple Morris, a, a guy who was very instrumental in helping me sort of get my, 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 my break in the UK. But really, they wanted to kind of get me on the air. But because I was from New Zealand and they just launched MTV UK, they had to be very specific about the identity. And so yeah. their whole thing was like, let's just see how you fit. Yep. And I just went my way through it. Um, and I was making music then too, and we were trying to get records away then. It was an exciting time. A lot of labels that viewers of this might might remember things like, or still know about, like Moax and Wall of Sound and Skint and Talking Loud. These it's a very influential time. I mean, Blair had just gone into power. It's 1997. All eyes yep. were on the UK. London was yep. on fire. It was eternally spring and summer. Um, we were living in Holland Park, spending all of our money in a ridiculously expensive apartment because we thought that that's where we should live. <laughs> yep. I was working at the Music and Video Exchange, working six second, you know, buying and selling secondhand records. Sounds like Williamsburg, Brooklyn, <laughs> right? Working yep. in a ten p basement, learning how the hustle works, um, you know, and working myself to the bone just to buy pint money, mm -hmm. and uh, and drinking and just living the London life. And it was a glorious time. Oasis were the biggest band in the world. You know, Moax was a great label. Everyone was looking at the UK and Face Key Magazine here. was crushing it. At this point. Were you still obnoxiously good looking? <laughs> no, man, I was fat. <laughs> I was drinking pints and living on pasta. Was this your height weight? No, my height weight was just after I got married. <laughs> it makes exact sense. I think everybody just head nodded. And then I was like, if I want to keep this beautiful <laughs> yeah, lady, I better get better back get to my normal weight. I love it. So let, let, let's, we're going to come back to you. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the, uh, the Planet of the App story. How did you get involved? What did you know about it? Does Jimmy call you? Like, yeah. what's the punchline? So I've been at Apple for a, for a minute, and we've been working on beats on the media side of things. You had already come. To, you already made the mental commitment of moving to LA. Without a doubt. So okay. I was here. I'd, I'd been here. We had a very short time frame to build Beats One and get it on the air in time for the launch of Apple Music, which we did successfully. And then we had to kind of build around it in process. Yes. It's like building the plane, yep. launching it, and then That's building right. the engine as you're in That's the air. Right. Yep. So um, so while I was doing that, and and um, I can't even remember. I was in Jimmy's office because. He's just a really valuable and really great guy to have around. And you think? You just go into his office and-, and <laughs> Good things happen. Right, and yeah. he just talks and you listen. And yep. He said, yeah. You know, Will, Will has this great idea. He came to me and he told me the name. And, I, and as soon as I heard the name, I said, I gotta do it. We gotta do this, Will. And it was Planet of the Apps. And I, and I got it. As soon as he said it, I was like, holy shit. Good puns are hard to find. Yep. And so I was like, man, I'm into that. And so I raised my hand immediately and said, look, if you need a host for that, I don't even know what it is, but I'm up for that just because it sounds huge. And he's like, it's going to be massive. And so Jimmy, <laughs> being true to his word, to be fair to Jimmy, you know, kicked open every door and moved every bit of furniture in the room until he got me a chair, a chair in, the, in the production. And, you know, I don't have any... I don't have a lot of numbers on the board in this country yet, you know? I mean, things are moving now. Sure. But at the time, there wasn't a lot of interviews out and about. No one really, aside from sort of core music fans who'd yeah. seen the Kanye interview or the right. name interview, the Rick Rubin interview, whatever. So, um, so you know, he, he, he had to really kind of hustle me in, but, but hopefully it was the right decision. It feels like it was. So For everybody else. I know, I've loved it. What about the experience? So you get there day one, right? And you start meeting some- Well, no, we met in a boardroom. During a meeting, yes. And you sat in front of me because I chose not to sit around the table because it was like four seats left and four advisors coming in. So I chose to just kind of be a gentleman and sit that out for a minute. That was next door. Yeah, I remember and, uh, this across the way. And uh, and then someone didn't show up. I think Gwyneth didn't show up. Yep. And so and so somebody else took the seat. So I was I ended up sitting behind you, 
and you were very cool. You turned around and made a, a connection straight away and shook my hand. With very, you were a gentleman. And, uh, and I knew straight away, this is a man that I will like and enjoy working with. And that's been true. I appreciate that. So, so what about when the uh, when the uh, it's a crazy meeting though? Remember, everyone was. I remember. Do you remember? I remember. Do you remember, do you remember Jessica? Yeah, Jessica brings fire all <laughs> oh, the man, time. She sat down, and everyone was just like. I think I think what I remember from that meeting was being confident that a lot of people in the room hadn't totally wrapped their head around Apple's firepower of right. exposure. Right? right when we th- when we talk about launching a TV show, whether it's press or whether it's the pre-launch parties, when when Jimmy and the rest of the Apple teams like the homepage of iTunes, mm. like apple.com, mm. like everybody who hits Apple Music browse right this second as we're recording this, sees our five faces. Like that exposure is so extreme and I think it's tough for people to wrap their head around well, that. Well, it's a very simple reason for that is they hadn't done it before. Well, that's right. They haven't, they haven't put But that's con- when it's good. They haven't put con- that, By the way, that's the reason I did it. Yeah, I know it is. Like, like to me, that was the only good part. Like that was the big KPI for they me. They had you at app. They had, they had me, absolutely. They really, you know, it's funny. I got an email, Lynn's in the room, like, (laughs) I got this email and it was my wife's birthday and she was in the shower. We did like a staycation. We went to like a hotel to have dinner there and we're like two blocks away from our house, but we were away. And I remember like being super focused, like, I'm going to focus on that. Like, I'm not even going to check my email. And then like, let me check my email real, real, real quick. And I get this random email from them. And I read the email and I literally said, holy fuck, I'm going to do this. In a world where I've, you know, been, Given ten thousand business Which was lucky, shows, because you know they had a, they gave you a thirty minute window, and then they were going to offer it to Tony Robbins. That makes sense, or Ashton Kutcher. Or Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, like I actually knew when I got when I got that email that they didn't know how unbelievably lucky they were to have me, because whether Ashton or Tony did. or anybody else tell signed who, up for it, they wouldn't have brought what I brought. I tell you who did know straight away was Jimmy. Tell me about that. Tell me. Tell me how Jimmy tell told me, me how t- brilliant I was. That's, that's exactly what I'm tell setting me. up. Remind me. Well, listen, I haven't heard Remind this story. me what Jimmy has already told me. Yes, tell me everything. Uh, he was like, let me tell you, man. This guy Gary is going to be a superstar out of this. Jimmy's and brilliant. everyone was like, he sort of already is, Jimmy. He's like, no, not, I mean, TV big. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what I, the listeners to, to the podcast will really enjoy is what I know. And listen, we're, we saw episode one, episode two airs as of the recording of this. Supposed to be better. We're probably, yeah, I mean, the, the, it seems like the- Episode the, two is better, right? Way that's, better. that's what we're hearing. Like, I'm excited to see how it plays out, but- I thought one was great. We put in a lot of hours, and then the episodes are 49 minutes, 57 minutes, an hour. You spent ungodly amounts of time up there with the app developers. It was fun. Tell me what was your biggest takeaway? That people are doing this for the greater good. You know, I think we live in a world where, certainly in these kind of TV shows where people put themselves in front of judges and try and achieve something, it's, it's human nature to want to achieve that for yourself or for the people closest to you. A lot of the time we see people going up and singing for, for their future or, or dancing for their future or, or even presenting their business opportunities for their future. And a lot of the backstory is like, I really need this. I really need this. Sure. My family really needs this. And there's nothing wrong with that because, of course, you should be looking out for yourself and for the ones 100%. closest to you. That's part of being a human being. Achieve your dreams and benefit the people that are closest to you. But what was fascinating about the app is um, apps is that is that everybody I spoke to, but just because of the very nature of it, it required um, a, a full immersion in technology in order to try and achieve this goal. People really seem to be doing this in order to make my life better. Yep. Someone they don't even know. Yep. Or the people who are watching. Change the world. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you more time 
to do better things by increasing your time management skills and giving you a nap that works that, that, that makes it easier. I'm going to make you fitter. I'm going to help you find clothes or food much better. I'm going to make banking easier. I'm going to you know, give you something that's going to protect you or keep you safe if you feel unsafe. I'm going to give you an opportunity to look after yourself. So there was a real selfless nature to this. Now, of course, there's a personal pursuit of course. In, in, toward the achievement of success and apps is a, is a distribution and a gateway to that. But it just felt to me from spending those days around those people that one of the really de- defining factors of this particular series was it, it of it was its selfless nature. Let's talk about something that is not edited in to the episodes and that I as one of the mentors and really nobody besides you and the people behind the cameras really got to see. Talk to me about the vibes when people got no's, right? So the way that right. the way we at home are gonna see the no's is they're gonna show a couple pitches that people got no's, but there's, you know, Hundreds of people who got no's, yeah. didn't get on a mentor team, yeah. were not chosen. Some didn't even get a chance to pitch. They got four reds. Yeah. And then others got to pitch, but none of us you know, wanted to mentor them. Yeah. What was the overall sentiment when people came back? Were they like, fuck Gary Vee, he's an idiot? Were they devastated, like months of like getting prepped or weeks? Like this is gonna be, you know, I can imagine, right? You're an app developer, yeah. you're already dreaming, I'm gonna get through, yeah. I'm gonna team up with Will, yeah. I'm gonna crush it. Well you should, you fun. manifest course, destiny and visualization. Why would you go so, in expecting anything else? So was it hardcore devastating? Or were people like, well this is just part of the journey? Like did it run the gamut? Like what do you remember from the, a person or a team comes back and they got all those. Honestly, that yeah. was that was something I was unprepared for and I didn't know what to expect because I've watched a lot of these TV shows like everybody else and a lot of it, the emphasis is on the drama. A lot of the emphasis is on the, God damn, I can't believe, I don't know, yeah. screw you, yeah. and you're, you're going down and I'll be back and all that sort of <laughs> yeah, shit, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> excuse me, I get it, it makes great TV, certainly between the years of 1999 and 2015, but... I think that you know, in the last couple of years, as we've been opened up to the process a lot more, and technology has become far less about a behind-the-scenes environment and a far more of a foreground experience for people watching as well as doing. Um, I think that there's a, a distinct um, lack of bullshit that's showing up, and people want that. And so, what was interesting for me was that, and it was it was very individual. People dealt yeah, with it in course, different ways. Yeah, of course, everybody runs the gamut. But the overriding feeling across it was, um, you know, a refreshing lack of bullshit. Um, if people were upset, they'd tell it straight up. Yeah, I'm upset. I think I deserve to go through. I Did don't people think they- cry. There was a few tears, but again, you know, you got the wrong host. I'm not that guy. and Like you weren't there with a shoulder? I'm not, you know, of course I'm going to be supportive, but I'm not going to milk it. I'm not sure. going to press the buttons. I'm right. not going to drive people into right. a state of distress for good TV. I know that makes great TV, but there's enough of that out there. What happens when you do something that's a bit more tasteful? Yeah, of course. What happens when you, when you treat someone like a human being and not like a subject on a television show? Did you ask people if they felt that they didn't give it their best at bat? Did, they, did, you, did, you, were, did anybody speak to fuck if I had another chance to Absolutely. pitch it? Yeah, that, there was a lot of self-reflection in there. And a lot of people took a look at their own performance and their own opportunities and wondered whether they made the most of it, which I really respected. That was probably the most prevailing reaction to any form of disappointment. There was a few tears and there was three or four people that were like, fuck Gary V. <laughs> What about, I remember if it was either day two or day three, we're filming, we're filming, we're filming, and it started off ice cold. It was like, a terrible day. Do you remember? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I came was. down to check. The, I got, <laughs> they said to me, Can you go down and see what's going on? And I went like, down. It was like there. seven people in a row yeah, start the day the and they got assassinated. I walked down on the set when, during a break and, and, and I, I went down there and it was like this. Looking at their phone is what you're doing right now because it's a podcast. Oh, it's a podcast. You can't yeah, see it. Yeah, All right, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just looking at their phone, right? Yeah. Classic story. I just, yeah. Yeah. Answering, the, yeah. answering the emails. And you were coming down and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? I actually said, like, what's yeah. up? This is a, there's, there's a vibe going on here. What's going on? The vibe was the fucking app sucked. Yeah. This is a bad day. 
just a bad day. It's just a bad day. And the thing <laughs> is, right, that's, that's, that's... Were the people that were... This is actually the question. Were the people that were number four, five, six, seven, eight, was it a progressive, like... I remember that... I remember this day, because you said something. Yeah. You kind of sat next to me, like, that was your spot. Yeah. Um, which is, like, the day began... I remember you saying that something to the degree of, like, the day began, and everybody was, like, super pumped up. It was and great. High-fiving. Yeah. And then, like, literally, like, yeah. uh-oh, the first pitch didn't go well. Oh, that was just them. No yeah. big deal. And then the second one's, like... They just got crushed. No, by four or five, yeah. it was really bad. I mean, it was a funeral up there. And the, the problem was is that, so the first people go down, they had a rough experience. They came back. But they're first through the door. That's right. And the worst thing is they have to, they've got to stick around the whole day. I forgot about that. You've got to stick around the whole day. You can't just like sling That's your right. hook people and get, get an Uber right. and bounce, right? You've got to literally hang about. I forgot. Right? Because it's like at the end of the day, we're going to get all these shots. And, and these yada, yada. were what? These were like eight-hour days? Longer. Twelve? 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 Yeah. Right. Fuck, imagine going down Officially the escalator. Officially 10. For, seven, you, for union right, yeah, standards. Yeah, but, but I mean, what, you know, seven, seven, so, seven minutes, you know, 10 minutes, yeah. you know, and then. No, you're done. Boom. You're done. And, and the first one was quick. Too. And then and then the second one went down. I can't remember which order it was, but one of the next two or three was like a 45, 50 minute slugfest on the floor <laughs> with four reds at the end of it. Now, when you're up there and you're watching these people go, and I can listen because I've, I've got my inner ear in, so I can hear the conversation that's going right. on. But the people can't. So what they get is this kind of like disconnected, um, sort of very reverby, echo experience where they hear key words come out or key voices being raised. They often hear you because, you know, you're wow. the greatest thing yes. high-pitched yes. voice. Yes, Figured right? it out. I hacked the system. Right. Deep, deep, we all know that you have a baritone, but <laughs> it do. just works for you I having a high-pitched voice. You're like the ad rock of, of life. You're like, well, it's like the be real of tech. It's true. Right? That's that high-pitched voice gets, gets attention. He's all about, he, he gives me so much love on, Instagram, he's the best. He's a G. So, 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 and they'd hear Will because Will would really kind of have this dynamic yep. voice, right? That would come out, but they wouldn't hear everything that's going on. So, you know, getting to my point, this fifty-minute pitch ends with four reds, and that was when everything changed because people were like, "Oh my god!" Like, if they went through that, this is going to be bad. And so it went from the, and so it went from this whole like em- empathy and sympathy for those that didn't get it to those that didn't get Fear. it, feeling like, man, at least we're done. Because right. the, because right. these They're these next it the seems squad. to be getting yeah. worse. Yeah. So by the time it got to like the sixth app and it was still four reds or whatever, everyone's just like, oh my god! Like the people who were left over were just like, maybe we just maybe we just throw in the towel and respectfully decline this opportunity. Let's let's bounce to a different direction. I've been spending a lot of time with we, yesterday at the party. We talked about young up and coming hip hop artists. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that from a culture standpoint. Mm-hmm. What are you of, of the artists? You know, a lot of my audience loves hip hop because of our infusion into it and just that vibe. Who's catching your attention? Who's putting out the records of the summer? Who's the artist that you think is really original? You have a far more sophisticated palette on this. I'm curious, who are some of the guys or gals that are capturing your imagination in the hip hop game right this second? It's tough. It's a, like I'm, I'm up for the challenge of answering the question, but I need to preface you, it you, by saying yeah, it's, it's really hard because, why? because when, you're going, when you're playing a lot of music, and you're searching for things that capture you. And and every record we play, we believe in. We, we don't play anything we don't like. Sometimes we might play something we're not sure about to see what the context of it's like. And, Interesting. And, and, you know, when you put a record in the middle of its peers, sometimes it shines more than it does when you're hearing it on its own terms. That it's makes context. It's context. Context. So, but, but then people say, oh, you know, what are you listening to? And your brain just goes into this mishmash of a thousand things that you've listened to over the course of the last six months. But there are some key artists that are really standing out. I mean... It's not strictly speaking hip hop, but it has a hip hop, you know, spirit to it. Um, you know, this 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 guy Khalid is 
is going to uh-huh. be the Huge. breakout, man. He's and it's already, huge. it's going. It's so already that's, happened. That's all happening. And yep. so that's exciting. Yep. Um, I think, you know, I'm excited by Amine. I'm excited by this really unknown guy called That's Him, who has one song out right now, but his tone and his ability to find melody and he feels comfortable on track. And I think if you find someone who's comfortable in the, within the framework of their music at a very early stage, you know it's only going to get better. What about outside of being in the music People that but then there's Playboy in, Cardi who's killing it, Cardi's and then there's like you know you've got obviously Uzi Vert's going to be the next big superstar, and you know you've got all these incredible you know artists that are just Kyle, who I know you know. Yep. I mean it's an exciting time for. I mean if you've seen the cover of of, X, of XXL, if you've seen the Freshman cover this year, it's like all of those guys put together. It's it's like Slipknot or something. Like there's a rock energy to it. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a real tension to the way they present themselves, and there's a real kind of like visceral sort of energy to that and I find that really interesting and I, and and I, and I, I like seeing music and 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 every layer that comes along for that ride and it's multi-layered music is only one aspect of it it's the off, passion, off, but it opens the door off off the sound I like it see I like seeing it change off the sound people that you've interviewed or have seen interact in real life in a board meeting or just out in public anybody anybody stand out that you interviewed and you're like yeah I really like this guy as called, a person I really liked and like this guy called JID, who's just signed with um, J. Cole's label, Dreamville. What what and caught your attention there? He has a complete vision in of his how mind it's gonna happen. of how he wants it to happen. He seems to be able to talk about his dreams and his vision and his ambition in a very methodical, deliberate way. So it's not just I'm scrambling and searching and I'm going to achieve it no matter what. He's like, he's got it. And when I see artists like that talk, I realize that it's not a case of if, it's a case of when. When. I like that. What else, my friend? What else is uh, important? What it, else is exciting? We're, you know, we're in a world right now where pop music has changed shape. And and, and I, what I really love is the fact that, you know, you've got these producers who have found distribution platforms and ways of getting their beats out there and reaching an audience and finding their peers who may be vocalists or rappers or other producers and they're kind of changing the shape and the sound of pop music so now you have artists like you know jesse reyes and sigrid and um maggie rogers and georgia smith um and caliuchis and amazing artists who are coming at it with very credible backgrounds and very credible influences and inspirations and they're bringing that into pop music and changing the way pop music feels. So I actually feel like pop music is in one of the most exciting places it's ever been. Speaking of apps, what's the app on your phone that you're most addicted to, uh, like loved the most of all time, uh, currently hot on? Give me, a, give me an app story, a Zane app story for, for, for the listeners. Well, I just remember, it's an obvious one, but I just remember the first time I used Waze. You were just like, whoa. changed my life because... <laughs> <laughs> Because you have to understand that Because you're always late? Well, in London, you don't really drive so much. As the it moves you. <laughs> yeah, you get taken along for the ride. Uh-huh. And it can either be on the... Tr- on the on I the, on hate the, London traffic. On the tube. But people who complain about Los Angeles traffic are searching for a reason to keep people away from Los Angeles. It's like the only thing that they ever say <laughs> is when people go, oh, maybe I live in Los Angeles. Go, oh, Do you feel you've become uh, the, Hang on. The, the, the traffic. The traffic, man. You don't want to live there. The traffic, man. I am going to destroy that myth right now. London traffic is oh, three times close. worse. They're not Auckland traffic is two times worse than LA traffic. Do you feel you've become softer and less hungry and less of an assassin because of the weather of Los Angeles? No. And I'll tell you I why. Think you have. Because you think I have. <laughs> 
I just think it's, I just think nobody can penetrate it. You saying I think a little, you fundamentally a become cutty? less of is an A, a player if you live in Los Angeles. No, and I'll tell you why. Please, I'll tell you why, Mister New York. Please, I'll tell you why. Please, because because yes, granted, it's a sunny climate and it's coastal, and people tend to walk around even when they're doing business in flip flops and shorts. Uh, and I get it's a beach town. It's a beach town, Bro, but but I'm here right now. There's people like doing yoga right now. It's, it's two in the afternoon. It's a beach town, but but and this is what's interesting ahead, about it. Good is that because the, of the lifestyle that it affords you or allows you to live, no one ever turns their phone off. No one ever stops working. I see what's happening when here. you're in London. When you're in New York, at least I don't know about New York. When I lived in London, yep. it would get to six o'clock, seven o'clock, and people yep. would be like, "And I'm done." They would go home, and close the door, happened. and nobody calls Zane, you. Zane, I got caught. I forgot that you came from Europe where those right. fuckers don't work at all. Dude, I... So LA that's you, seems... By like, the way, dis, first, first, first of many disclaimers what forthcoming happened? in this what extensive happened? chat, I, I did not say that was... That was me. That was straight Gary Vee that said that. That's a Gary Vee classic. That's a Gary Vee classic. Listen, America will be soft too in 200 years. That's just the punchline. That's what generational wealth does to people. Right. They take all of August off and they go to the pub at four o'clock p.m. <laughs> Listen, I have a huge office in London. I know the world and LA and New York, and the punchline is simple. Anybody who's New listening York or watching this right now at the London everybody. office needs to like seriously be concerned they know. about their future. They know. They know. I mean, and by the way, I don't begrudge because they're competing with other people in London, so they don't have to compete with you. Play on the field you play on, right? right. I mean, listen, as somebody who's been in New Zealand, somebody who's been in, London. in the London market and now in the LA US market, yeah. you've adjusted to the playing field you've played on. That's just truth. And I'm going to say something that's going to throw a curveball to all my fans. I wish everybody took off all the time. My big thing is not how much you work or what it is. I just don't like the feeling when other people are working and I'm not. <laughs> That's the stress I hold. I love Christmas week. Yeah. I love the last two weeks of August. Yeah. I love four day weekends. I can't wait communal, for because everybody's off. Idea. Listen, if we were off 364 days a year as a community, I would kill you on that you one day. You suffer from the same syndrome I suffer from, which is circus leaves town syndrome. Interesting. Explain. You only got, well, you're at a three day event. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes. Friday is an amazing experience. Yes. You see a lot of music, a lot yep. of art, a yep. lot of culture. Yep. Saturday. Wonderful. You're in the middle of right, it you're all. You're in the vortex. You love you're it. In it's it just now. everyone's in it. No one's leaving. Yes. As soon as you wake up on Sunday and see a few Devastated. people pack up their tents, Devastated. you're out, right? No, uh, yes, I am. Yes, you're out. <laughs> you got me pegged. You're out. Because, because, because one of your worst fears, one of your worst fears is that you're the last tent on the field. Yeah. I, I hate that feeling. You're right. Yeah. Me too. You know what I hate more? What? And it's been the driving force of the content I put out to the people listening right now. This guy? Well, D-Rock's the best, but no. <laughs> I used to really hate Sunday night. Because yeah. Because I knew the next day. Same thing. But I used to know the next day was school. And right. I hated that game. And the thought that 95% of the people listening right now don't love what they do on Monday morning mm -hmm. breaks my heart. Because unlike school, work kind of manifests for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Like the, When you actually take a step back and realize how much time you put into your craft, your occupation, your business, your job, mm -hmm. in the percentage of your life, mm -hmm. it's scary. When did you realize that you... That that was the way you were going to live your life. To love it? Mm -hmm. Fourth grade, when I punted the other thing. When I decided to fight the system, get bad grades, have everybody think I was going to be a loser, and I just inherently knew it was just a matter of when, mm -hmm. not if. Here it is. There it is. There it is. Zane, I love you very much. That's it? That's it. Unbelievable. What the fuck happened? Well, that's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, there may be another time when we decide to oh, get- Oh, I get um, a maybe? Maybe. D-Rock, I get a maybe? <laughs>
Oh, no. Dude, I left it all on the table, man. <laughs> Dude, we I came in here, I put listen, my hoodie up listen. like I was prize fighting, Zane. and I get a maybe? Zane, I'm tr- we're g- we gave the Vader Nation a taste. I think they've all fallen in love. Fuck out of my studio. All right, sorry. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed that. Zane, you are a gentleman. Follow Zane Lowe on every platform, and uh, hope everybody has a great day.